want you to imagine for a moment that your daughter comes to you and says, I have been dating someone for a month and we're going to get married. It would not be well for your soul in that moment, probably. (laughs) Well, this is the situation that John Hazeltine found himself in. His daughter, Anne, had been dating a man named Adoniram Judson. And after one month, Adoniram approached her dad and asked for her hand in marriage. He wrote John, Anne's dad, a letter. And in this letter, he lays out his plan for their life. He knew that God had called him to be a missionary to Burma, in which this was a place in which there were no known Christians, there were no churches, there was no Bible. There was no access to the gospel. So before he proposes to Anne, Adoniram writes a letter to Mr. Hazeltine asking for permission, and here is what he wrote. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. What would you say, dads? What would compel someone to go to a dangerous place for the sake of the gospel? How in the world can people knowingly go to a place where they will suffer and be persecuted and endure beatings and yet do so with joy? Well, the answer is Jesus. Jesus endured suffering for our sake. And God, who never asks us to do something that he himself hasn't already done, Jesus went first. He goes and he suffers so that through his suffering, he might bring us to God. And it's in this suffering, we're going to see this morning increasing in intensity as he gets closer and closer to the cross. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 15. 
Mark chapter 15. As a faith family, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark together, forging our way through this, stopping along the way to stare at rich treasures along the way. The gospel of Mark gives many snapshots to the life and ministry of Jesus. Throughout this series, we have seen Jesus call his disciples, heal the sick, multiply food, walk on water, calm storms, teach truth about the kingdom, and raise the dead. Now we're at the end of Jesus' life where he is headed to the cross. He is close to the finish line of accomplishing his purpose for why he came, and that is to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's at this point in Mark 15 where Jesus has been betrayed by Judas Iscariot, denied by Peter three times, abandoned by his disciples, tried by the Jewish Supreme Court, called uh, uh, the Sanhedrin, and has been substituted for a murderer named Barabbas. And that is where we pick up in Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 15. The scripture says this, Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away into the palace, that is, the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. This morning, I want us to notice together not only the type of torture that Jesus experienced from the Roman soldiers, but also why he endured such suffering. I want you to see first in the text that Jesus experienced Flogging. Flogging. Pilate released Barabbas to the crowd, and then, verse 15, had Jesus flogged. Now, flogging is a type of whipping. A criminal would be stripped of their clothing, tied to a post with his hands uh, tied above his head. The whip, which was sometimes called a cat of nine tails, it consisted of leather straps that were attached to a wooden handle. On the end of the leather straps were pieces of bone or metal. Two men, one on each side of the victim, would do the flogging. The whip would come across the back of the criminal and rip open their skin, creating stripes across their back. The sharp pieces of the end would puncture the skin into the muscle, into the fat tissue, and at times the internal organs. The pain, agony, and torment were so brutal that prisoners would sometimes die an awful death from such significant blood loss by flogging. Now Romans, they were experts in torture. Though they considered themselves sophisticated and cultured, They were also barbaric. For when Jesus was on the cross, his body became unrecognizable. This is what the prophet Isaiah said would happen in Isaiah 52, 14. He said his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man. And his form did not resemble a human being. 
What we see happening here is the pure cruelty of evil being poured out on Jesus. Jesus is experiencing the worst kind of human suffering. The flogging is displaying the depth of human depravity. That Jesus is not only experienced the injustice of human corruption in a court of law between the Jewish and Roman leaders, he's now experiencing the wrath of God toward the sins of the world. But what this text is also showing us is how much God loves us. Romans 8.32, He who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him grant us everything? What we see happening in the text is the suffering of Jesus culminating at the cross where God is showing the love of Jesus. That God did not spare his own son from the suffering of human experience. God is not shielding himself from fully experiencing the horrible effects of sin. He does not remain on his throne in heaven, disengaged and saying, good luck with that sin problem. No, instead he gets up off the throne and Jesus comes to this earth and he suffers. And we see instead of sparing his son, we see that he gives his son for us all. And because he has given us Jesus, he will also, Romans 8.32, give us everything. You see, Jesus experienced the worst kind of suffering that would ultimately find its climax in the cross. You see, Jesus was treated as we deserved so that we would be treated as he deserves. Oh, beloved, if you would know how much God loves you, and though your sin is great, his mercy is more, we see where God shows you his love through the crushing of his son. Through the suffering of Jesus, God is showing you not only how repulsive and ugly our sin is, but how treasured we are because Jesus goes through the beatings. He goes through the flogging for us. And what we see happening here is Jesus taking the beating so that we might receive the blessing. Now, this is not like false prosperity gospel where and you, you are blessed because of the beatings of Jesus, so you're free of pain and poverty. No, 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 no. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to have to suffer with Jesus. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if... If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You see, as a follower of Jesus, you must be prepared to suffer with Christ and suffer for Christ. If you belong to Jesus, you must be prepared to endure hardships and persecution. You must be prepared to endure difficulty. If you've been thinking, you know, I might put my faith in Jesus. And if I do that, man, life's going to be awesome and easy. Uh-uh. It's the exact opposite. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Following Jesus is signing up for a life of hardship. This is what God is calling us to as followers of Christ. 
And part of God's calling upon my life as your pastor is to prepare you to suffer well. Is to teach and instruct and encourage and equip and pray so that when hardship comes your way, you do not wince, you do not retreat, you do not turn back. But you stand faithful in Christ, enduring hardship with joy. Now, God has been so kind to us. We, we live in a nation where this physical threat for following Jesus is not something that we experience yet. This, but I want you to also hear around this. That's not normal. Many of our brothers and sisters throughout the ages, and even today around the world, live under the threat of physical suffering for their faith in Christ. That's normal. You see, what you and I experienced in the midst of the ease of our lives apart from physical suffering for following Jesus is we don't know what it's really like to follow Jesus like brothers and sisters around the world who are literally laying their lives on the line. That to follow Jesus means to potentially lose family, your job, your income, your property, and maybe even your own life. That's normal. That's what it means to follow Christ, is that you're willing to endure hardship and suffering. But we've seen this all throughout scriptures of the faithful throughout the ages. We see this in the life of Moses. Hebrews 11 says that by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. You see, following Jesus requires that we suffer with Christ and we suffer for Christ. That is normal. And we must not be surprised by this. So that when suffering comes your way, when difficulty and trial comes knocking on your door, you don't act surprised, you respond with joy. That's what Peter tells us to do in 1 Peter 4. He says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. You see, as followers of Christ, when we endure hardship and suffering, we do so with joy. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Hebrews 12, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. You see, Jesus suffered with joy so that we too can suffer with joy in him. And y'all, we have so much to learn from the early church. Hebrews 10 it says, for you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. As you face trials for following Jesus, when you go through sufferings, don't be surprised. 
but endure it with joy. And do not interpret your suffering as if you're doing something wrong. It very well may mean because you're doing something right. Do not interpret hardship as disobedience, but as what is normal for a follower of Christ when we obey his word. So when you endure hardship, when you go through trial, you do so with joy. What we see in the flogging of Jesus is that he is taking a beating. He is showing us what it means to suffer with joy. And this is yours when you belong to Christ. You obey Christ, you follow Christ, and you seek to honor him through your suffering. I want you to see secondly in the text that not only did Jesus experience flogging and was handed over to be crucified, but number two, Jesus experienced mocking. Having been flogged with open wounds up and down his body, blood pouring out of his body, in the agony of physical pain and torture, Jesus is now surrounded by Roman soldiers who mock him. The whole company, verse 16, that consists of 600 soldiers. 600. These soldiers were in town to help keep the peace in Jerusalem during the Passover and prevent riots from breaking out. But now they get a break from policing the streets as they get to rally around Jesus and to watch him suffer a brutal flogging. But then they, verse 17, dressed him in a purple robe. Purple is a color of royalty. It's an expensive color to make for a garment. Jesus was made to play dress up by this whole company of soldiers. You see, the one who is giving them life and breath is the one that they are persecuting. The one who sustains their heartbeats is the one that they are mocking. They are mocking the one who allows them to live. And then, verse 17, they twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on him. And yet this crown of thorns, that has a connection all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Do you remember a part of the curse of Adam's sin? In Genesis 3, the text tells us that thorns and thistles would grow up from the ground. Here we see Jesus bearing the curse of creation. The very thorns that are the cause of the first Adam are now falling on the head of the second Adam. Now Jesus is bearing the curse of the first Adam and he is reversing the curse of the first Adam through his suffering and death. What we see happening here is Jesus is taking what happened with our first parents in the garden and he is reversing it by absorbing all of the evil, all of the sin, all of the curse so that he might bring blessing to those who believe upon him. Question, are you banking your soul upon Jesus? Are you trusting your soul to Jesus? This is why he came. He suffered and bled and died for you to observe, to uh, absorb the, the wrath of God for your sin. He is taking on the curse of creation upon himself. And he's doing so through the cross. Then when you rest and trust in him. So we see Jesus goes through flogging. He goes through the mocking, but thirdly, I want you to see Jesus. He goes through beatings. 
Verse 19, they were hitting him, hitting him on the head with a stick. Now, this is not a fraternity initiation. This is not a mere hazing. This is torture. No doubt laughing as Jesus takes hit after hit after hit. They spit on him. A sign of disrespect. And Jesus went through this humiliation for you. You see, Jesus experienced degradation for our exaltation. Jesus went through the worst and the ugliest so that in him, you and I might one day be seated with him in the heavenlies. Jesus goes through the sufferings so that one day we'll be reunited with him in heaven. Jesus goes through the torture so that you and I will not be tortured eternally. Jesus is taking the hell that we deserved so that we don't have to. Notice they get down on their knees and they pay homage to him. They mock him from their knees and again, make no mistake, verse 19, they're going to be in this same position one day in which every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They stripped him of his purple robe, reopening and exposing all of his wounds from the flogging. So after being flogged, after being mocked, after being beaten, like a lamb to the slaughter, verse 20, they led him out to crucify him. Jesus was taken away, condemned to die. And the question I've been asking myself this week is why? I put in your notes four reasons why Jesus went through this suffering. The first is this, to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. In Isaiah 53, for example, Jesus is the suffering servant. He is the one who is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We all have turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Have you turned your back on God? Have you embraced a life of sin and selfishness? Have you allowed your life to go after the things of this world? This is why Jesus came, is to rescue you and to save you, to call you to repentance, to turn from that way of life and to run to his marvelous grace in which he will shower you with love. He will cover you with his righteousness. He will care for you personally and say, I will be with you even to the end of the age. This is what Jesus offers you. Jesus went through this suffering because this is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament said would happen. But the second reason we see is to display the depth of our depravity. If you want to know how ugly my sin is and how ugly your sin is, look at the sufferings of Jesus. He went through this atrocity because our sin is this ugly. 
your sin and my sin is repulsive to a holy God and he must punish sin and praise God. He made his son who knew no sin become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus suffered horribly to display how depraved our hearts are outside of him. And yet it's through his suffering that we are invited into the very permanent and perfect relationship with God. This is what God offers through the suffering of Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus went through this to empower perseverance for his people. Jesus is not only showing how ugly our sin is, but he's modeling how us, as followers of Jesus, how we are to experience the same kind of suffering. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Why? So that you won't grow weary and give up. You see, one of the reasons that Jesus suffered was for your perseverance in the gospel. So that he could show you, I'm not asking you to do anything that I myself am not willing to do. I want you to know that I am the Savior who gets involved in your mess. I know what it's like to suffer, to be rejected, to be laughed at, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be crucified. I want you to know I went through the very worst so I can understand you. I know exactly what you're going through. And when you look to me, When you trust in me, I will empower you to persevere. If you're going through a trial right now, look unto Jesus. Look at his broken body and what he experienced for you. If you're going through a trial, look unto Christ. This is why he came. It's so that by by banking your soul upon him, looking unto him by faith, he not only preserves you, but he protects you and he will be with you even to the end of the age. You bank your soul upon Christ. As you suffer, you do so with joy and confidence that he will not only preserve you, he's going to keep you all the way to the end because he's showing you what it means to suffer. He's asking you to join him in following Christ, which is what we see number four, is he is showing us what it means to model suffering for his people. Jesus is setting an example of what we may have to go through as followers of Christ. If the world treated Jesus this way, how are they going to treat us? And since Jesus suffered, now we get to go and suffer with him. So let's be prepared to suffer. Come what the Lord wills. Whips or lawsuits or chains, beatings, whatever it is. We remain faithful to Jesus because he remains faithful to us. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. Such is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship to the point of imprisonment as a criminal. But God's message is not imprisoned. So I endure all things for the sake of those chosen by God, that they too may obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and its eternal glory. So Kenneth, what are you calling us to? What's what's the takeaway? It's this. It's your impact point. Cling to Jesus as you endure suffering with joy. 
Jesus is inviting you to hold fast to him through trials in this world. That you can count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the, test, uh, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That suffering is one of God's good gifts to his people to conform us into the image of Christ and to strengthen our faith for the sake of perseverance. This is why Paul says in Romans 5 that he says, I glory in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. And so John Hazeltine can freely give his consent for Anne to marry Adoniram Judson. Why? Because Jesus suffered and died on her behalf. And now she, through Christ, is empowered to go and do the same. As you follow Jesus, you're going to experience suffering. You're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through trial. But know that your Savior went first. And through his suffering, he has protected you from eternal suffering. Hell is off the table because of what Jesus is going through here at the end of his life. So you don't have to fear suffering. You have Jesus, the King, the suffering servant who suffered and died on your behalf. So cling to Christ. Hold fast to him. And you know what? The governor's palace and Golgotha and the tomb they're empty. Jesus defeated it all, rose again on the third day, defeating death so that when you trust in him, so too will you. As you suffer, you can do it with joy because you have Christ who suffered and died and rose again on your behalf. He is the king, I tell you trust in him.